Howdy, y'all, and welcome to an extremely special edition of the Cyber Ranch Podcast. This is part one of two of a live fireside chat recorded at the RSA conference just a few short weeks ago. I joined forces with Sempris and Attack IQ, and we took over a big chunk of the lobby at the W Hotel right across from the Moscone Center. I'm an advisor to both companies, so it just made sense to join forces to record what we called the Cyber Campfire. We gave away cowboy and cowgirl hats, and more importantly, we recorded the fireside chats in front of the actual fire in the lobby at the W. I got to talk to a fantastic series of guests, 34 folks in total, and I'm releasing two shows with the best of the best conversations. Now, Sempris, for those who don't know, provides the industry's most comprehensive Active Directory and Azure AD cyber resilience platform, supported by specialized AD incident response expertise. Attack IQ offers a new fully managed breach and attack simulation service. They are also the premier provider of MITRE attack-based security control validation. Both companies funded this entire operation, and I could not be more grateful. So let's get on with the show itself. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. I feel the need to point out that the W Lobby is one of the noisiest places on planet Earth to try to record a podcast. I bought some really high-end noise-canceling headsets, and they worked. You'll hear the live sounds of the crowd in the background, but you'll be able to make out what my guests are saying just perfectly fine. Fantastic shout-out to the Sennheiser Corporation, who is not funding this show, but by golly, do they make a good headset. Now, the first question I asked a number of my guests was this. What is the single most critical skill that a CISO needs to be successful? Chris Kennedy, the CISO at Citadel, weighed in. If I was to try to put one punchy word on it, it would be having the EQ to navigate all of the skills required to be good at the job. You think about what the CISO's got to be. He's got to be a technologist. He's got to be a leader advocate for his organization. He's got to be a, a business. Uh, he's got to understand his business richly and understand how you know, his financial services functionality works. He's got to understand the cybersecurity industry as a CISO and understand how it's moving and machinating so because, the, because of how the, the gravity of the organizations that, he's, that, that are his partners support. Uh, and then on top of that, he's got to be able to span architecture, what's going on in the underpinning IT infrastructure, and how all his technology ties in to the business outcomes that person wants to perform. Gary Hayslip, CISO over at SoftBank Investment Advisors, added this. I would say not just in my industry, but in any industry, is uh, managing expectations. You know, uh, just you got to take a look at everything that you're going to be touching. You know, everything you do impacts the organization, touches culture, touches resources, you know, touches revenue. Just because they've hired a CISO doesn't mean that, you know, everything's going to be completely done and everything's perfect. You know, you, you have to be able to manage expectations. They need to be realistic. Michael Caldron, head of security over at the Yagio Group in the manufacturing vertical, adds this thought. Well, let's start with understanding. You got to understand the business. You have to have empathy for the people. You have to realize that that downtime is going to be painful to a lot of people. And so how do you avoid it? How do you really comprehend those business processes and help design them in a way that you can do what you need with the minimal downtime possible? Recore is in higher education over at Portland Community College, and she complements these thoughts with the following. I 
feel that having worked in financial sector with a company like Fidelity as well as in retail sector, I worked for Nike for eight years uh, I, and in education space. Now, I feel that the single most critical skill, which is important in all different verticals, is being a great translator, translator of technical risks into business risks and vice versa because you know you don't want that uh, language to be lost in translation whether it is to the executive leaders or board of directors as well as your technical team as well. Robert LaMagna Ryder, VP of Security and Compliance over at Huddle, they're a sports tech sports analysis company, added the following. Pragmatism and calmness. At the end of the day, I'm here to help them sell, uh, in my case, uh, subscriptions to our software, more cameras, uh, 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 wearables. It doesn't help the security function to discuss most of what we do. What they care about is how am I going to maintain my uptime? How am I going to ma maintain my response time? How are you going to help me uh, enter new markets, right? Make that proactive. And so we have to approach that through calm, uh, layered in discussions amongst the different teams. And so I think that's the one skill that can easily uh, seem like it's simple table stakes, but you really have to double down on that, helping to educate your partners. Matthew Lang is a former CISO who's actually been on the show before, but he's now a VCISO who helps a lot of different folks, a lot of them in the healthcare services space. And he added a VCISO twist in his answer to this question. Certainly having that basic understanding of uh, starting a program, right? Because when you're a VCISO, you're coming to a very small organization that either does not have any security whatsoever and you're like the first number one hire uh, or they've got one or two, right? And they, they don't have a, a strong foundation. And so you've got to come in, you've got to understand the basics, build that for them um, so that they can then grow. Now, one of the other questions I asked a bunch of my guests was how can the CISO or, or whoever your role might be as a security leader, how can a security leader best co-lead not just their own cybersecurity programs and efforts, but the business itself? How does a security leader co-lead the business? Merritt Baer from the office of the CISO over at Amazon Web Services started the conversation with this one. So we do, for example, forced blameless escalations when, you know, a guardrail gets hit by an employee. So VPs know they have to answer the phone for security. It ends up being something that folks have just like embedded into the way that they will operate. And I think that's something that is important and that too often it's lip service when folks say security is important to them. You've got to integrate it into how you actually operate. But make it easy, as we were describing, you know, wherever you can. Um, so we have a lot of ways in which we try to mechanize that belief that good intentions are not enough. It's got to have some real world elements of that. And I think, you know, that, that bottom line commitment matters. Rob Wood is the CISO for the Centers of Med Medicare and Medicaid in the U.S. federal government. But he's also been a private uh, sector CISO, and he's even been on the vendor side of the house. He's got a very unique take on these things. You've got to be in alongside of those like value center parts of the organization. Maybe it's maybe it's sales, maybe it's product, maybe it's your the mission oriented teams in the federal space because we're not you know we're not bringing in money, uh, so to speak. And so you've got to understand what their needs are, their opportunity, you know, kind of like SWOT analysis sort of stuff, um, and and figuring out how you can help them. Maybe it's maybe it's helping, yeah, I, like I spent a lot of time in the private sector and startups and such, so 
yeah, working with sales and helping make sure that you can you can breeze through that third-party risk assessment process, and you're not holding up deals or, or helping the the company or them or their team position cybersecurity as an asset in their in their sales process. Like that will help you and the company and them grow and succeed. And it, it sort of it it frames the cybersecurity function in a very different way. It's not just the people off to the side doing phishing training or, or whatever, or patching things. It's, you know, you're, you're a partner at that, at that point. Brian Green, CISO for the Americas over at Zscaler, had his own thoughts to add on this one. You're definitely seeing this in the industry where, you know, CISOs are less relegated to just pure technology roles and really getting into more leadership roles across the, across the C-suite. So I think this is a great question. So, you know, in terms of how they can best co-lead the business, I would say is, um, you know, probably two primary qualities from, from my perspective is one is to, to, to really be a strategic thinker. Um, you know, I think that's critically important. And then the, the second part would be just to, to really build a, an amazing culture. And I think that goes back to what I, you know, first answered about the, the leading, yeah, leading with empathy, absolutely. So, and the, the, the fantastic thing about this is that those qualities are, are really just super synergistic. So if you, you know, if you, if you really define strategy and then you're building a culture that envelops that, then you kind of get to a, to a really good place. Stephanie Dodori, Senior Manager of Information Security and Technology Risk Management over at Capital Group, offered the following. You're going to be successful if you understand the culture, you understand the language of the business. So it's as simple, as, and I don't want to say simple. I would say it is, it is simple if you understand the culture. How do you, what are the top priorities of the organization? What's the business trying to do? How are they driving? But also be careful, listen to the words they're utilizing. So are you going to call it a security issue or are you going to say this is our security investment, for example? If you were an investment company, how do you, what's the language that people are talking? Use that language so that you're not seen as this outside entity. You're seen as part of inside the group and then people will actually uh, respect that and come to you because they feel that, that you're that trusted insider too. Andreas Andreu, CISO over at 2U offered this thought. So you have to be tactfully aggressive in injecting yourself um, into really business processes, uh, decision-making processes. Um, I, I think persistence goes a long way, right? Because you're going to get pushed off to the side initially. That's just reality. So you just got to make sure they realize that you're not going to go anywhere and that the organizational culture just has to adjust to the fact that we're trying to push a security first mindset. Paul Love, CISO and Chief Privacy Officer at Co-op Solutions, gives us a good metaphor. I, I usually come into organizations and end up revamping or rebuilding from scratch or, you know, something wasn't working. So that's the type of CISO I've ended up um, becoming a lot of times. And the reason that there's marginalization is the contextualization, right? The, oh, we got, um, you know, we have this many vulnerabilities. Well, is that bad, right? And, you know, a security person's like, yes, every single vulnerability, but business is about risk. Um, so the way that I, I, I do this is I make sure that I understand what the business is trying to accomplish. Super easy to say, right? That's uh, mom and apple pie level stuff. So what I'll, I'll do is go and, you know, work with my teams and say, okay, here's what we do as an organization. For instance, I share that security in some organizations is like seatbelts on a car, right? Super important, but it's not the reason you buy the car. Like I've never gone into a car dealership and said, oh my gosh, uh, yeah, they, oh, these are amazing seatbelts and they do this and that. Um, you know, we have the conversations like, make sure that we are um, 
that we're understanding what the business is trying to accomplish and put it within acceptable risk because business is about risk. Now, the RSA conference itself is an amazing and sometimes overwhelming experience for just about everybody who participates. There's an awful lot of value to be derived, an awful lot of knowledge to be learned, and an awful lot of connections to be forged. So one of the questions I asked everybody was, what was the best part of RSA for you? One of the first folks to answer that question for me was Vishal Amin. He's the general manager of security solutions over at U.S. Federal, uh, the defense group in particular. And he had some really interesting things to say about the conference. When I was coming into RSA this year, when we signed up for it last year, we thought this was just going to be the era of cloud security. Maybe looking at you know a little more privacy. The data thing was coming up, like really digging into the data and really not, not so much network security, but privacy, data, maybe looking at GRC a little more. IAM's always there, you know, and I was, th- I was thinking more cross-cloud, multi-cloud kind of efforts. So what organizations are, I mean, this is the Super Bowl of what's, what's next. That's what Vishal was expecting, but what did he find? You know, with the evolution of ChatGPT and OpenAI and how, how you're building on that, I mean, I think that changed the game this year at RSA. I mean, I think people are here thinking, security professionals are here for the first time in a long time actually thinking about real innovation and not just security operations, but how all of that really changes the game of how we live, work, operate, I don't know, make music. All of that stuff is here. I mean, this isn't a security conference this year. This is an innovation conference. Kelly Shortridge, the author of Security Chaos Engineering, Sustaining Resilience in Software and Systems, added her bit about what she liked about the conference this year. Best part of the show, I mean, obviously seeing you. No, like nerding out about stuff, nerding out about things like resilience, hearing people, you know, excited about how we can make software better, like all of that just fills my heart with joy. Tim Rohrbaugh is a man about town in cybersecurity, uh, an advisor, a consultant. Uh, Most recently, he was an airlines CISO, and uh, he dropped by to visit and talk about his experiences with the show. You know, I got, this is actually the first year that I actually did a talk. And so it was one of those things that I felt very passionate about that I thought was a success, you know, at least in changing my own mind over the last three years and approach. And then, so in prepping for it, actually, it got me a chance to actually vet it, you know, get some like sounding boards with other folks. And so that little networking event and then being able to just really be here and meet with people like when, you know, when you're in this for a long time, um, you know, you, you, you're the only connection you have is LinkedIn probably. So just a sense to come together and see where everybody's at and what they're thinking. Um, you know, I, I, I do get a little nauseous going on the expo floor and hearing the same acronyms and stuff. But when you get down to actually having a human conversation, this is like, I know I kind of missed it during COVID. David Cross, the CISO and SVP over at Oracle SaaS Cloud, had another take on the show. Well, certainly uh, I got invited to a, a private event and, you know, it's Chatham Rules, but really is you know, General Nascone, you know, the, the director of the NSA, is you know, a, a brilliant man, a, a great leader, and really provides the insights of what we need to do and, and focus on. And really, I think the coolest thing is how we're seeing the government, you know, and, uh, uh, and you know, national security agencies saying we need to work together, you know, of industry and public sector to be successful against common enemies. And I think that's very exciting for all of us. Adrian Peters, the CISO at Vista Equity Partners, also chatted with me about this show. Uh, so uh, I always I always say whenever I come to RSA, there's two missions. One is for work, right? Let's go and see what's happening in the world. 
are there opportunities for us to either explore investments into, more importantly for us to help secure our investments. And the other one is personal, right? It's like, you know, when you're on that ship, one hand's for the captain, one's for yourself. And so the notion of being able to catch up with other people, and I can tell you, uh, I think it's been a success both, right? I've seen, I think we've seen some really interesting, I mean, it's hard to pull in, pull the, the meaningful nuggets out of the haystack, but I think there's some really interesting tech out there. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it's really interesting because we're in a security space, and so we're, we're generally paranoid. You read the flyers and like, that's really not true. And I tell you, like, there's been a couple of where, like, I go and ask questions, like, wow, you really do that? Well, that's really interesting. You're already at 30 million? Like, who's your customers? And then, and so I, uh, so I think, um, I think it's been great so far. And then, man, what a turnout. Robinson Darum, CISO over at Relics, had not been to RSA in quite some time, so he had a very unique perspective on the show. Dude, this is the first time in 25 years I've been to RSA, so it's like a whole experience for me. I've gotten to see people well, like you and, and others, but mostly I got to see some ex-colleagues from 20 years ago that I haven't seen in 20 years, and suddenly they oh my God, there you are. So, so that's been the coolest bit of it, is the people. The next question that I tackled with my guests was what is missing in cybersecurity, either in your vertical in specific or in cybersecurity in general, but what is missing in cybersecurity? Audra Streetman, security strategist at Splunk, called us out as an industry on our hiring practices. I would say is is entry-level jobs that are truly entry-level because we hear all the time about jobs that that require they have so many requirements and it, it can be kind of a hindrance for people when they're when they're looking to apply and and you know if they only meet 50% of, of the requirements then they just don't bother but um, my advice to job applicants is to apply anyway um, that's what I did Adrian Peters whom you just heard from had a take on this question as well it's uh, a great question uh, I think there are a couple of things that immediately come to mind and uh, I think the odd thing is many of them are not new right um, I'd say if you were to ask me what do I think is foundational challenge everybody's facing today, asset management. Like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? You know, I, I always tell people, uh, no matter where I've ever worked, uh, if you take sit back and you look at where were all our incidents last year, you can always directly link all of them to bad asset management. We didn't know that we had that GitHub repo. We went through an M&A activity and we forgot about these accounts. So I'd say asset management, foundational challenge, and I'd say it's exacerbated by the fact that there are very few modern stacks out there to help people address it. Paul Love had an answer to this question as well. I think we still need to work on ensuring that diversity, right? So, for instance, on my company, I'm, I'm one of the co-chairs of our DE&I council, right, as the security person, right, because I wanted... I wanted to make sure that I understood how to lead people, how to bring people into the org that are diverse. And, and, and you know, that just makes a lot of sense. So continuing this outreach of, you know, trying to get the, the younger people in or even older people who are trying to do career changes, like getting that thought process in, it's so amazing to have cool conversations. Like, for instance, you may come up with a policy that says, okay, we're going to require BYOD. And then you get somebody in who has a different life, you know, what they've dealt with, and they may say, well, what if a person doesn't have a, a device? What if they can't afford it? It's like, oh, my gosh, right? We, we hadn't even thought of that, right? So, you know, that whole different kind of conversation, that's really exciting to me. And I love learning. I'm in continuous learning mode. So hearing people and, and hearing different perspectives is really important. So, 
you know, I we're we're working on it, but I hope nobody thinks, oh, we're done. Okay, we can move on to the next thing. No, you got to keep bringing the everybody that you can in different perspectives. Bob Shooter, the CISO over at Ashland, had a couple of thoughts on this question. Missing is is a little bit harder one because we have so many great startups out there. So if you're into the startup community, and I'd recommend everyone gets into it and takes a peek at it, right? I mean, we've got 4,500 different startups in the world right now, probably more. <laughs> Just the ones that we, you know, we directly follow and, and look at. We're starting to run out of immediate ideas of what to do and what to fix. So I like the big major changes, the big shifts that we see coming out, right? Enterprise browser for me is an exciting area, right? Because I'll get us on it. It's that reduction of friction. Right, the convergence world I really like a lot. So I think, you know, to some degree, we're seeing some of the new ideas come out, mostly as tweaks to original thoughts with new technology behind it. Now, as we start talking about AI, obviously, ChatGPT is everywhere, right? But the understanding of, you know, again, just having, having that human answer and that human interface—that's the piece that I think is is really going to be hot in the next, you know, five, ten years. And I think and to your, your question before, right, what are we missing? Honestly, I think it's more thought process within how we actually approach this, right? Because we have a very traditional IT thought process around it. And I think it, part of what we need to do is, is really move that to the solutions, right? So if, if we don't change our programs for what company we actually work for, then we should just outsource all of all of IT because we can do, get the you know, best practices out there. I don't think anyone believes that's the answer. Right. So how do you actually structure your program to fit your company and answer your goals? Another question that I tackled with several of my guests was all around purple teaming, leveraging the MITRE attack framework and other tools like that, purple teaming methodologies, maybe even just red versus blue teaming. But the whole idea that we need to attack ourselves on a regular basis to test and strengthen our defenses. And what does that look like for my various guests? Robinson Darwin points out that it's not as easy to develop a true purple teaming program as it would seem. I've personally seen firsthand where red teams can run amok a bit while you're trying to get a true purple experience off the ground. Yeah, it's it, it's mostly purple teaming as as kind of a loose combo of, of red and blue. I mean, they should be working better together, but uh, we're still getting there. And so, so mostly it's red teams that wander off and break things. Rob Wood found purple teaming success by honing in on a specific facet of his operation. Yeah, and, and we do have a dedicated purple team as well. And we have a, a platform as a service team called the Batcave. And it's basically like building this. Uh, I'm a big Batman fan, so um, it's, it's basically building this like Kubernetes, CICD, like DevSecOps platform abstraction around our AWS cloud footprint. And inside of that, we have a dedicated purple team that's just all day long doing, like, so they're kind of bridging the gap between red team, blue team, security engineering, all that stuff, like helping, you know, build regression tests, detection and response playbooks, all of that stuff. And so that's, that was, from what I understand, like one of the first dedicated purple teams in the federal government space. And I'm like, I'm really psyched about it. We had that from like day one on that program and it's, they've done awesome, awesome work. Royce Marcos has led a variety of CISO and GRC roles and other technical roles in cybersecurity as well, and he had an interesting take on red and blue. So uh, lead teams that, that are part of blue teams and, and uh, the red teams, right, uh, I think e they're, they're both equally important um, in the past, kind of playing 
you know, playing checkers, but now it's chess. Uh, it's like playing whack-a-mole with the bad guys. They have to get it right once. We have to always get it right. So it's you have to understand as a as a blue teamer, you have to understand the red team stuff. As a red teamer, you have to understand the blue team stuff. Now, I want to end this show uh, in a bit of a special way. As you can tell from the uh, two days that we recorded these fireside chats, a lot of times I would ask the same questions of different people. I had a list of stock questions, and we went through them together with uh, various guests. And the idea there was a lot of people, as you've heard from this first show, have different perspectives and different ideas and different twists and takes on things. Uh, we, we learn about people having different challenges and overcoming them in certain ways. That's all well and good, but I had a few guests who were very much unique in terms of their role in the industry, their place in the industry. And I thought I would do some unique interviews, and I thought I would close this part one show with what to me was one of the absolute best of the best uh, conversations I got to have. And I, I felt very lucky to have James Stanley. He's the chief of product development over at CISA, the government agency who's done so much to help us in cybersecurity. And we had a great chat about his programs and his work and all the good stuff he's doing there. So I thought I would just end the show with uh, James's good thoughts. So enjoy this and look forward to part two next week. We still have plenty of guests and plenty of questions that I've not even touched yet. Walk me through, James. You know, you guys obviously, you guys have contributed so much, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm a huge SZA fan. Like, I'm, you guys are awesome. You are truly helping the industry in a way that it needs help. Um, let's focus in specifically on a little bit about red teaming. Like, you know, tell me the benefits of red teaming. Tell me some good strategies to properly implement red teaming. Let's kind of start there. Yeah, so um, the biggest thing for, for myself and my team, um, we, we heard a briefing from the head of our red team at CISA when they came back from a relatively large organization. Um, and as he was kind of telling us the details of the story of what they did and how they did it and how they went about their business, um, it was interesting, concerning, um, really eye-opening. And so I figured, like, how, how can we share this story with the general public. It's really important, it's really necessary. Um, and just the standards of red teaming, you know, why they go out and do that is to help that organization, right? To find the holes, to fill those holes. Um, but if they're doing that for one organization, why are we not sharing the story to help multiple organizations, to help just the general public, right? Um, and so we basically gathered all the details of what they did, how they went about and did what they did. And they were very successful, almost too successful. Um, and then after that, we, we mapped all the behaviors to the MITRE ATT&CK matrix, which is our standard and another thing that I would love to jump into. And it was really just, it was the first time a government agency had, had written a story about an actual red team event. And I think we, we showed the general public there are so many ways that you can get burned, even if you are a really organized, massive organization. And so, you know, here are all the details. And so go ahead and proactively defend against this because that's what a red team is, right? They're, they're, they're the bad guys. They're pretending to be the bad guys. They're very good at it, just like the bad guys are. Um, and now we know all the, 100% of the, you know, the stories where sometimes um, when we have incident response go on site, you maybe pick up 70% of the story and you miss a few little key details. So this was a chance to tell 100% of the story. I love it. I love it. So MITRE integration, let's talk a little bit more about that. I'm a huge MITRE ATT&CK fan. Uh, people call it a framework, and I have, in fact, in my past, mapped it to frameworks like, you know, 800-153 and, and CSF. Like, I have truly mapped MITRE ATT&CK to frameworks, but I think of it more as almost like a kill chain database than a framework, right? How does that, how, what's your take on that, and how do you integrate that into your red teaming? Yeah, and so we did it with red team. We've been doing it for two to three years now as really our standard. When my team writes our reports, 
Um, and we have different types. You know, we, we talk about operational activities. If there's a new vulnerability being exploited or maybe like a ransomware CSA where we're talking about a specific group and how they go about their business. And again, it's the, the key focus is being proactive, not reactive, not just blindly blocking, you know, 50 IP addresses with limited context. This is a way to know the, the, the playbook of these guys and proactively defend against it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the next logical steps the bad guys are going to try. And, oh, look, we can block them there and cut them off at the pass. Yeah, I love MITRE ATT&CK. It's, 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 it's such, a, such a valuable contribution to our entire industry. So, all right, so we've talked about red teaming. We've talked about MITRE ATT&CK integration. Um, what other tips and strategies do you have for anybody that's kind of wanting to, you know, self-attack and harden, right? Like, like this whole, the whole reason we do red teaming, the whole reason we have MITRE ATT&CK, this is in theory, to strengthen our position versus real-world style threats, right? What other recommendations, guidance do you have for folks? Yeah, so I think, you know, again, my team writes a lot of the operational, the tactical stuff that you can review. You can, you know, map those behaviors in your local environment. There's all there's the Sigma repository. There's a lot of free, free ways to protect and defend your environment. Um, but also I encourage people to, you know, lean towards, we also published, you know, the decider tool with alongside MITRE, which is an easy way. It's, you still have to be an analyst, but it's basically plain language and how to map to attack if you're not very familiar. Um, and we, you know, we have, we published alongside MITRE a guide to uh, mapping to attack. So, you know, like review those details and, and take it on on your own. So, you know, like I, I love that people reference our cybersecurity advisories, but in the same side of it, um, I really think that it's important to start doing this on your own as an organization to, again, uh, better defend and just um, have a better understanding of your own environment as well as what the bad guys are doing. This is good. This is real good stuff. So MITRE, MITRE mappings, I think MITRE themselves have mapped to 853. Is that correct? Or did they map to CSF? It was one of those two that they did, right? Okay. And you guys have done some MITRE mapping to, to, to these actual like strategies and tactics, which is a that's a really brilliant use of mapping in its own right there. Not, not a framework-centric view, but an actual like productive step-by-step, what am I doing in the real world sort of view. I think, I think that's invaluable as well. Um, but the MITRE mappings, the MITRE attacks, the, the, the mapping to real-world attacks, this is all great stuff. What else are you guys doing over there? Um, so we're trying, to, we're trying to find the best way forward to getting more of a rhythm, I think, is my, my new project of when something comes in operationally focused, you know, what does CISA have to say as an organization that's not already out there publicly available? And we respond to some stuff, um, but we're not, we're not as consistent as I'd like to be. So that's you know, kind of in the works is how do, we, how do we come together as a very large and powerful agency and respond to things in a really quick turn basis, provide that community with the value add. Um, so, you know, it's just outside of mapping to attack, we, do we have unique detection signatures or something to provide the community? Right. IOCs um, and whatever else yeah, it might Yeah, because a lot of these small, medium-sized businesses, they can't afford the major multi-million dollar feeds to get the paid feeds from the big vendors. This sounds like a great mission. I really value the work you guys are doing. I, I appreciate this new view that, you know, hey, we could be reacting more to the, you know, the stimulus from the community. But I think even ignoring that aspect, what you guys are putting out there and what you guys are doing is incredibly valuable. When I heard I had a chance to talk to SZA on the podcast, I got so lit up because I, th- I, I really, I'm a fan. Yeah, that's great. that's great to hear. And I know, you know, we're always looking for feedback, obviously good feedback, but also bad feedback. I yep. mean, I want people to be as open and honest with us because that's how we're going to get better. Right on. We don't have all the solutions, but I think we're getting there and we're moving forward in a good way. Right on. I uh, sure appreciate that. Well, listen, James, thank you so much for coming and visiting us here at the lobby of the W. Yeah, it's awesome here. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, thanks. Folks, that concludes part one of our RSA 2023 Campfire Chats. 
Uh, sponsored by Attack IQ and Sempris. Fantastic sponsors, both fantastic companies and products, both. Definitely check them out. Uh, next week is part two. You're going to have even more guests who you haven't heard from yet, as well as some great comments from guests you have heard from today. Y'all be good now.